You know what? Since I'm on a roll with doing these podcasts, I might as well just knock another one out because I wanted to touch on Terence Crawford. It's been in my head since Saturday, but I had to watch the fight a couple more times just to clarify my thinking. But I think after Saturday, the welterweight division becomes the money division again. What we got with the heavyweight division by the end of the summer was our three main protagonists, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, all looked vulnerable in different ways. Fury, vulnerable to the heavy-handed Wilder. Wilder looked vulnerable to an intelligent and skillful Fury. Joshua looked vulnerable against a podgy, but incredibly tough Mexican in Andy Ruiz. So we can now make cases for each of them beating each other. Like, there's no one guy who's miles away from the others. And that's why we're chomping at the bit right now for these guys to fight each other because it can't get any hotter than this. You know, Andy Ruiz showed what happened if we drag these fights out too long. Someone might upset the apple cart. And realistically, it's most likely to be Joshua because, yes, I know he gave us the, the masterclass, as they like to call it, but, you know, he did his thing. He, he got the win. But in the pursuit of greatness, you can't just get the win. You can't just get the win. You have to take the soul of the guy we call your rival. And that's the thing Deontay understands. Deontay understands that he can't just beat Joshua on points. It doesn't matter to us. He's got to stop Joshua. And Joshua's got to stop Wilder. If Fury can stop either one of those guys, cool. But Fury doesn't carry the same kind of threat physically that they do. So Fury's got to go the whole fight not getting touched, humiliating guys, making them look basic, breaking them down until they're forced to quit like he did with Chisora. But the bottom line is we want to see all these guys fight each other. We don't really care about anyone else anymore. It's these guys who are important. Anyone else is just misdirection from the real story. And the real story is these three guys have to fight each other and we establish who the number one is. And then we can all move on to another division. And that division we're going to move on to is Waltzweight, the 147 division after Saturday. Smoking. Absolutely smoking. And here's why. For a long time, Terence Crawford was people's pound for pound number one. It was by some distance. And people were like, Terence Crawford's unbeatable. He's untouchable. He's, he's everything. He's mean. He's skillful. He's intelligent. He's an artist. And all those things are absolutely true. But I don't buy his CV. Ricky Burns. <clears throat> Uriorcus Gamboa. <clears throat> Hank Lundy. <clears throat> Who else has this guy fought? Thomas Dorome. <clears throat> Victor Postal. <clears throat> Julius Ndonga. <clears throat> These aren't like Derry Jean. <clears throat> these are not guys. For me, these are not guys that Get me excited. Felix Diaz. Ugh. John Molina. Ugh. These aren't guys that when you're having a 147 discussion, you want to be talking about. 
Amir Khan, Joseph Benavides. These are not guys you want to be talking about when you're saying this guy's top of the world's weight division. It's not fair on the other guys in the world's weight division. It really isn't. Just walk with me for a second. Let's cross the street from top rank to PBC. If we look at the, the main PBC guys, and we're just going to name them as Spence, Porter, Thurman, Garcia. Okay, just for argument's sake. Of those four, Garcia's probably the weakest based on what happens when they fight each other, right? Do you think Crawford CV compares with Garcia? Garcia knocked out Khan when he was fresh. Schooled Eric Morales when he wasn't expected to. You see what I mean? Already as a young man, this guy was upsetting the odds. Lamont Peterson, Kendall Holt. Like you've got Paulie Malaji, you've got solid names on your CV already. And this is even before you got into that PBC mix. You mean, you've been in there with tough guys like Granados even. And then you've got the Porter fight. You've got the Thurman fight. You've got fights on your CV that say to us, you know what, Danny Garcia is up there. Top five, definitely. Top three, don't know. But his CV is beyond question. Errol Spence, building that CV, that's beyond question. But he's got the Sean Porter win. That puts him way up there. Thurman's done his thing. Thurman's got the Porter win. He's got the Danny win. He's, he's been in there with Pacquiao. These guys have all kind of bolstered that CV that says Crawford needs a name like that. Now, if I'm just going to call him Cavalli for a second, or Cavaliowskis, sorry, let me call him by his proper name. Is he of a caliber of a Granados? I think he's a level above. Is he a level of a Danny Garcia? I'd quite like to see that fight because that will benchmark what this win really means. Because for all of Terence Crawford's ability and against Kavalyowskis, what really impressed me about him was how mean he was. He didn't have to box as a southpaw. He really didn't have to. Would he have boxed better as an orthodox? I don't know. But as a southpaw, he's eating a lot of right hands. And maybe it's the lack of experience with top-level Eastern Europeans. And you realise that they're consistent with that shot. Like Orthodox versus Southpaw, you watch it in the amateurs, they know how to time that shot. And I think Crawford took him lightly, which was a massive mistake. You know, there are all these subtle things, you know, that, that you can talk about Crawford does, you know, how he manages ring distance, how he works his way into a fight. You know, people call it data collection, but what he does is he experiments. But he got touched. That was definitely a knockdown. That right hand hurt him. Tried to hold on, couldn't hold on, fell over. And it's like that embarrassed Crawford into going, I need to prove why I'm the best in the division. But that vulnerability said, woo, woo. What happens if Danny Garcia lands that? He's got real pop in his right hand. We don't know because Kavaliauskas doesn't seem to, he doesn't have a profile where we can assess him. And that's Crawford's problem. Crawford can't have another fight against a guy we can't judge because he's hanging on to this pound for pound thing based on like, you know, hypotheticals and eye tests. And if you base this on the eye test, man, he's just one of the pack at the moment. And so if, if you start to look at it and you say, well, who do we think the most solid welterweights are in the world right now? 
you know, in no order. Pacquiao, for obvious reasons. Porter, Spence. Thurman, we don't know. Danny Garcia, definitely. Crawford's in there. But look how many of those guys have all fought each other and Crawford's on the outside. And I don't want to hear people say, well, it's not his fault. No, 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 this isn't about fault. This is about fact. He hasn't been in with guys that we can benchmark and say, yeah, that puts you in the top three in your division. I'm not going to say his record's padded. I don't think his record's padded, but it's subpar. For, for someone on a pound-for-pound pound list, his record is subpar. When you compare him to Canelo, subpar. Lomachenko, subpar. Errol Spence, subpar. And he may look the most pleasing on the eye, but he's got the easier opposition. It's easy to do that. He can't do that against Spence. He can't do that against Porter. And so this is the problem with Crawford fans. Like No one's saying Crawford's rubbish. What we're saying is Crawford hasn't put himself in the mix the way these guys have. You know, if we say hypothetically, let's say Errol Spence now gets a Thurman fight, gets a Pacquiao fight, gets a Garcia fight, wins all of those. He doesn't need, Thur- he doesn't need Crawford anymore. That's a Hall of Fame career. Thurman comes back, rematches Pacquiao, wins. Hall of Fame career, potentially. Sean Porter, give him three or four wins against these guys in rematches. Hall of Fame career, potentially. Crawford's not there, man. He's three or four fights away from saying, I've got the CV to compare with you guys. That's his dilemma. You know, half of his career, he was fighting guys that were being brought up in weight where he had the size and strength advantage. At 147, that's not the case anymore. We're not seeing the same ruthless, destructive Crawford in my eyes. And this vulnerability was good, actually. On Saturday, seeing that someone can time the right hand and land it on him, and then if he tries to get clever, he can eat left hooks as well. That's good news for us as boxing fans because it means he's human now. And when a boxer is shown to be human, what happens? Everyone comes out and says, I want that fight. But it's not about everyone wanting the fight. He has to fight someone we care about. And the guy that we care about is who? Sean Porter. We know Sean Porter is the benchmark in that division. Why? Because if you can beat Sean, you're elite. Because Sean's elite. Sean's a man that in any era would hold a belt. So if you're beating Sean Porter, what you're saying is, I'm at this level where I can be making big fights. Now, that's the talk at the moment that if Al Heyman and Bob Arum are going to do a deal, it's going to be for Crawford versus Porter. Wow. And, and let's all be honest, we, we know it's not the best fight in the best, but this is the fight that will show us who's really got those stones. So what we should be worried about is that we don't know what Spence we're going to get back. We don't know what that car accident's done to him, physically and mentally. We don't know what Thurman we're going to get back we don't know if Pacquiao's done with boxing or not so this is almost that, that, that final moment where we can get some of these answers before the division morphs into something else because we know Danny's on the road back but Danny Garcia showed that he's not the top guy Spencer's shown it but now he's got the car crash Thurman's shown it but he had the shoulder thing and he lost to Pacquiao so it's all a bit messy at the moment. What should really happen is they should just incorporate Crawford into this mix 
and just go, right, you're going to fight these guys one after the other, just like all these other guys have done, and then let's see how you do. Because even if you say that Crawford has hard fights, he never seems to have them in a row. Like some of these guys, if you look at their careers, man, look at Porter's career, man. He's just been in hard fight after hard fight and proven himself. You know? And let's not exclude Kel Brook. Has Kel got two or three fights in him? Don't know. We'll find out in 2020 because Hearn has never been good at building a career for Kel Brook. So we can't hold up much hope. But I want to see Crawford in this mix because I'm not prepared to say Crawford's not pound for pound. Just like I'm not prepared to say that he is pound for pound. What I am prepared to say is show me an elite level guy that Crawford's fought and what happened when he fought that guy. Everyone else has got those on their record now. And we can't keep waiting. The guy's the other side of 30 now. And we can't keep hearing excuses. The good news is that Porter and Crawford seem to want to fight each other. And if he can do a number on Porter, I'm not going to be a guy that says, well, Porter was shop worn. I'm not going to be that guy. Well, it's competitive. And if Crawford can beat Porter, in fact, if Terence Crawford could stop Sean Porter, becomes number one welterweight. Easily. I wouldn't even entertain any discussion to the contrary if he can stop Sean Porter. Because Spence couldn't. Spence tried. Nope. Porter had Spence in some dark places in that fight, which was good character-wise, and it prepares you for a fight like Crawford. But it shows Spence was human, and that's when the noise for fighting Spence came. And now that Crawford's had a, a challenging fight, it wasn't a hard fight, it was a challenging fight, now it's his turn to get called out. Now it's his turn to look like easy meat for the opposition. But all of this is good for us as boxing fans, because this is all we've ever wanted. But I find it fascinating that we're so close. In the heavyweight division, we're so close to getting a number one. And in the welterweight division, we're so close to getting a number one. And all that can stop it, I think, is politics. And as boxing fans, we shouldn't allow this to happen anymore. And I don't think the boxers should allow that to happen either. But the one thing I do love about Crawford, and this is why I hope he does ascend to either number one or number two spot, is he's just so spiteful and... You can't create that and you can't train that in someone. You, you Sometimes as a trainer, you're lucky. You find someone that is intelligent enough to get boxing, physically capable enough to do a lot of damage in boxing. But they come with that spite that they can turn on and off. And when they get in the ring, they're just super spiteful and everything is designed to hurt. It's not about the sweet science at that point. It is what is the best way for me to hurt you? And Crawford has that. That's what's most impressive about him is that he's just horrible. He's the sort of guy inspiring you'd never hit low and you'd know not to hit him low because you've seen him wipe out people, even people bigger than him because they took liberties. So I don't want to be cast as an anti-Crawford guy. I'm just the guy that says, look, I want Crawford to prove himself because I want him to be in that mix with no question marks hanging over his name. But I know who's about to be the real deal pretty soon, man. Teofimo Lopez, wow. We're not even into the next Olympic cycle and this guy's shown that he's a real threat. And he's operating at a level that none of the 2016 Olympians from this country are, with the exception of Lawrence Okoli. But Lawrence Okoli doesn't do it with that much style at that level. Like, 
You just don't do that to Richard Comey. You just don't. Solid, teak-tough African who took Robert East to the distance, gave him all the trouble he could handle. And when Easter threw that same right hand, when he threw that same money shot, Richard Comey said, not today, my friend. I'm the biggest dog in the yard. Now you show me why you deserve that IBF belt. And then out of nowhere, here comes Teofimo Lopez. Same right hand. If you're going to be lazy, if you're not, if you're not going to build your shed with the piles into the ground, I'm going to be the hurricane that blows it over through that right hand when Comey had his left hand low. You know, and there's a lesson for people. And this is a lesson that boxers never learn. Don't drop, don't drop the lead hand when you throw the power hand because that's when you're most vulnerable. So many people get wiped out doing that. I remember Sergio Martinez and Paul Williams. It happens too many times where people get lazy and overconfident. But it's understandable because boxing's a game that's easier in a podcast booth. It's easier on a sofa than it is in the ring. But I loved what I saw from Teofimo Lopez. It wasn't very long, but he's just showing he's not there to make up the numbers. Do I want him to fight Lomachenko next? Oof, no. Because Loma's that fully mature lion, and that doesn't mean he's the biggest or he's the strongest. It just means he's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. And Teofimo hasn't yet. He's that big lion, but he's quite callow and hollow inside. He's not solid yet. But when he gets solid, then it's time for him and Loma to lock horns. He needs to get involved with these Devin Haney's. He needs to get involved with these guys like Javante Davis. And if Shakur Stevenson ever moves up, get involved with these guys, your peers, guys you did the circuit with. And let's find out who's got what. But I was impressed with Teofimo Lopez, man. I, I really was. A lot of the 2016 guys are flat to deceive. But he just shows he's a real deal. And whatever they do in America to get their champions like that, we fail massively in this country. But that was also good to see. So really happy with that. Just some things to touch on, just conscious of the time. Fury switching trainers doesn't seem to make sense to me. I get why there's a need because I feel his comeback has just been about him being fit enough to box. And then relying on his skill and his experience to get through. He wasn't, seemingly wasn't learning anything new. There weren't any new tricks in the Fury arsenal. And he's probably got to that point where he's like, against Wilder, I'm going to need a few tricks. I might have to old man him in a few situations. Because Fury didn't work out how to nullify the power. And Wilder's this really tricky conundrum. Because you either want to be far enough away that he can't land the shot. Or close enough that he can't get full leverage in. But we've seen him knock out people from probably every range possible. So what you need is, I always think you need a wily old veteran in your corner sometimes. And what they're able to do is just give you these little movements. Like like what Fury probably doesn't do enough of is use his mobility. And he's not getting any younger. So at six foot nine, when that mobility starts to go, which I suspect it's starting with him, then you've got to just keep it simple. So you just want a couple of double jabs, move around the side, start working start working different angles on Wilder and take advantage of the fact that he's not very dexterous. He's mobile, but he's not very dexterous. 
And I don't know if Ben could do that because Ben's still young in the game. But Ben's got a lot of mistakes he still needs to make. That's not to say he's not a talented trainer. But as I'm realising over time, it's the mistakes that I make that give me the lessons that I really need. So maybe that's what it is. It could, it could be any number of different things. But if Fury was deadly serious about elevating his career, you'd find someone like a Floyd Sr. Because I imagine those styles would mesh pretty well. But I don't know if a six foot nine guy can pull off the, the, Mayweather, the Mayweather system. So don't quote me on that. But if you look at where, where Fury's headed, realistically, you fight Wilder. Win, lose or draw, you'll probably get the Joshua fight next. Win, lose or draw that, you rematch or you fight Wild, uh, D- or Dillian White. And then you're like, do I want to fight the up and coming guys? There's no money in that. So why not just retire? Make a good bit of money, retire. I think Fury's on that retirement lap now. I, I just, I don't see him staying much longer after he's established that he's the number one of his generation. I also think that were he to lose to Wilder, he might want to come back for redemption. But, you know, these things are all this buts and maybes. The important thing is, it's a shame for a young coach he hasn't been given the chance to really show his credentials over a sustained period of time. So I hope Ben comes back with someone. Now, I'm not going to say he shouldn't come back at a level of a Tom Little because they've worked together before. But I'd like to see him come back at a level higher than that. Like a, sort of like a Dave Allen. So let's see what he can build when he's given good raw materials without that much experience. I just want to blitz through a few things that are floating around in my head at the moment. Number one, why is Danny Williams still allowed to box? Now, I heard he pulled out of a show over the weekend citing headaches and so forth. I just worry about the guy because he's got to be into 80-something fights now. And, you know, like the world title dream's long gone. So, you know, I know you, you know, are you still putting your kids through private school? I don't know, but wow. When will someone have mercy on the man and just be like, look, that's enough. I don't think what else has been happening in boxing. I see Matchroom as signing people again. So they've signed Mikey Garcia. And I can only put it in very simple terms and say, it looks like they're just signing damaged goods. Mikey Garcia probably has nowhere to go. Uh, I think Spence showed at 147, Mikey's outgunned. I don't think he can make 145. And 140 is kind of a, a barren wasteland. Okay, you can get a Josh Taylor fight for him, potentially. But... You know, does Josh need that just now or does Josh just want to have a couple of easy fights just to let his body heal because he's been through a lot? I don't know. But that's probably the only fight. Uh, Progray, maybe. But I, I imagine Progray is another tool to get Debella into that DAZN honeypot. So I don't know. But it seems a strange one. And now they're saying that it's only for one fight. So I guess it, it gives Hearn the kudos of, look who we've signed. And that's fantastic, but... I think Mikey's just washed at the moment and not washed in a boxing sense, washed in an elite level sense. He's not that that top guy at the moment. He's a long way to get back to that. You know, they've also signed, I think it's Cash Farouk. Strange one, seeing as Lee McGregor was the guy that won the fight. But you need a presence in Scotland, I guess. So you know, why not start accumulating talent in Scotland? Start putting shows there. And it is this mad battle for territory, isn't it? MTK doing loads of shows. Sky and Matchroom doing loads of shows and there's so much overlap Frank's doing shows Mo Pryor's doing shows and there's all this overlap happening where you're like I don't know who's any good anymore like the we don't know who the quality is because everyone's on every other show and it's it's super confusing to try and figure out 
But last thing I wanted to close off on was just to congratulate a good friend of mine. I know people go, ah, oh, another one of his mates. No, but Dan Aziz is now English light heavyweight champion. And I know it's not the British title. And I know the British title is in the midst of being fought for between Pitters and Craig, which is going to happen in February on a Hennessy show. Yeah, on a Hennessy show. How the hell has that happened? You know, no one's really talking about the fact that that's another purse bid lost by Hearn. But as a standard with Eddie, I don't think Eddie likes Craig. Like, let's just strip it down. I just There's something about Craig that Eddie doesn't like, and I don't know what that is. You know, doesn't, doesn't get to fight for British on a Skype platform, which is disappointing. But then let's just turn it around and go, great opportunity for Craig. But... I want to just touch on Dan Aziz because here's a guy that's just done everything the right way. Is low-key when he needs to be, high-profile when he needs to be, and is just pushing anything to elevate and advance himself. And I remember when he he was a guy that no one wanted to sign because they didn't really know what he was capable of. Now he's English champion. I hope they give him a meaningful fight as a final eliminator for the British title. And then let's see what he can do. You know, I don't think it's beyond Dan to win all of these things. He's... He's got this freakish power, but I think he's just, and he's getting better at it, but he needs to embrace who he is sometimes. I think sometimes he tries to fight a bit too upright, a bit too technical. And actually, it's the same, it's the same problem Andre Sterling has. They try and be too technical, when really who, what they should be doing is just, just being monsters. Because those are two men who are just hard as nails, tough men who are stronger than they look, and they generate so much power. They should make the most of that. They should be menacing guys. Like Dan's almost got that aura like Dwight Muhammad Kawi. You know, normally gives away a bit of height to his opponents, but Jesus, once he starts landing, you know, they don't want to know. But I'm really happy for him. I'm happy for Uma, who won as well. Uh, happy for Jermaine Williams. People know who Jermaine Williams is, but he's uh, an ex-Lodge guy as well with a savage knockout, if you can find that one. Wow. So that the weekend that's just gone was really good for the guys who came out the amateurs like 2016, 2017, who are now building a profile. So just, I mean, got so much love for those guys. I'll, I'll always have rose tinted spectacles when I assess how they performed. I'm not afraid to admit that, but all right, let me go and duck out and enjoy my Christmas break guys. Hopefully I don't get sucked back into another discussion, but listen, have a fantastic Christmas period. If I don't speak before and thank you for the love, the support and the loyalty. It's really appreciated. Cheers, guys. Take care.